Uh, let's open up Second Chronicles chapters 21 and 22 tonight. So we've seen the past chapter or so, Jehoshaphat and the type of king he was. He was actually a, a really good king for the nation of uh, Judah. And, uh, but he had a few, few things that were, that, were, that were not quite right with him. He seemed to, to like having a relationship with those who were doing evil. He wouldn't necessarily do the evil, but he liked to have a relationship with those who did evil, such as uh, Ahab and in the, in the, in the northern kingdom. And we're going to see now some of the effects of the relationship that he had uh, with Ahab in the northern kingdom and how that's going to affect his, uh, his lineage and his, his sons as, as we move forward. And how we have to keep in mind when we have these relationships sometimes with people who are not of the Lord or business relationships that are not good or what have you, that there are sometimes long-lasting repercussions to those relationships. And we're about to see some of those repercussions here in chapters 21 and 22. So let's go ahead and start with verse uh, 1 of chapter 21. And it says, And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Uh, then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers. Remember, we read that uh, last week as well, talking about Jehoshaphat had passed away. So we're seeing that here. And he had brothers, uh, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehel, Zechariah, Azarahu, Michael, and uh, Shaphatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. So he had about seven sons. Their, uh, their father gave them great uh, gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the king to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his fathers, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the prince of Israel. So here we see some of the effects as we, we continue to read through this of Jehoshaphat's bad decisions and, and business dealings and relationships where he was unevenly yoked with these, these non-believers per se, with the, the northern kingdom. And now we have a son who was married to the daughter of Ahab, pretty sure highly influenced by her in, in that kingdom. And we'll, we'll see that would be the case. Uh, end up killing his brothers because of the insecurities he had that they would try and take over the kingdom at some point in time and killed other people who were leaders in Judah at that time to, to ensure he secured his reign as the king of Judah. Total polar opposites of his father and his grandfather. Total opposite of, of David himself, who was the, the uh, ideal king for Judah, who they, they, would, they would match themselves up against. But he ends up killing his brothers to, to, keep, his, his, to keep his reign going. And, and that's, just a, that's a horrible thing, that he would have to come to that. And we're going to see a little bit later, someone else was in the family that would kill family members as well, for she can keep her reign. So it seems to be something that kept getting passed on through this generation, and it all stems back to Jehoshaphat's relationship with Ahab and intermarrying with that family uh, there. So we have to be careful with that. And I think we can look at this, and, and, and it's kind of a stretch a little bit, but we look at Jehoram attack his brothers and kill them, 
we may not do that in our, in our own lives. We may not attack our brothers or, we, or our sisters in Christ, but sometimes we can be a little defensive with them or we can, we can kind of go against them just because of the insecurities in our own life where we may think they may take over certain areas or what have you, or we have jealousy seeps into our heart because we see someone maybe getting promoted at work or within our family, and we ask why we didn't do that. And there's a sense of jealousy, and Jehoram definitely has some jealousy here after he killed his brothers to do this. So there was some of that there. In verse 5, it goes on, it says, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to, uh, and to his sons forever. So it says here that he followed in the way of Ahab and Israel, not in the way of his father Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat may not have had a very strong influence in his son's life. But it sure seems like his wife, who was the daughter of Ahab, had a stronger influence in him. So he was definitely walking in the false ways. And at this point, God had every right to destroy Judah and Jehoram because he was not following in the footsteps of David or his father or his grandfather, but he was following in the way of the idolatrous northern kingdom. So God could have destroyed him, but in verse 7 it says, Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, that he would always have someone on the throne. And thank God that we have a God that keeps his promises and keeps his covenants. Even when his people are failing him, he's continuing to keep his promise, continuing to keep his covenant. And he did it for the sake of David. And even though we we mess up sometimes, he's keeping his promise and his covenant that he made with us through the blood of Jesus. And we we need to be very thankful of that. And we see here that he's keeping his promise as well. And and it's awesome because a lot of people say when they read the Bible, they see a uh, a lot of judgment from God. They see a lot of killing from God. They see all these different things that especially in the in the Old Testament. But when I read it, I see a lot of grace and a lot of mercy that fell upon the people of God. And even those who weren't people of God, he would have grace and mercy on at times. We think that these, uh, these people reigned for two, three hundred years in the nation of Judah and Israel, and, and God could have cut them off at any time. This could have been the moment in time where God cut Israel off, but he didn't. He still had grace and mercy for them. Didn't bring them into captivity at this point in time. Because he kept giving them a chance to, to repent of what they were doing, repent of the evil that they were doing, and to come back to him. So this book is full of grace and mercy. Full of grace and mercy. Amen. Verse 8, it says, In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. <clears throat> Thus Edom was, uh, has been in revolt against Judah's authority uh, to this day. At that time, Lebna revolted against the, his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit holotry 
and led Judah astray. So here we see Edom, who was actually paying tribute to Judah at the time, decide to go ahead and test the king and see where he stood and see what kind of reign he had. And, and obviously with not the backing of God, because God was not going to back someone who was sliding like uh, Jehoram was doing and following in the evil ways of the northern kingdom, Edom was successful in, in battling against them to where Jehoram did not overtake him and bring them back into the fold. And with the rebellion breaking out around the kingdom and a moral decay taking place, Jehoram didn't have the backing of God. And I think about our country today with the moral decay that's happening now, and we just prayed about it. And it goes on in verse 11. It says, Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. And I think of the politicians today. I, I honestly believe that God does have us at a moment in time as believers where we're able to freely worship and, 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 to, and to bring the gospel to the people that are hurting out there and, and is a chance to, to bring revival. But I also believe when that window shuts that we're going to be at a place where we're going to be forced to, to commit holotry and, and forced to go astray. That the government is going to force our hands, just like he was forcing their hands to, to, to do evil here, they're going to force our hands to do evil. And we're either, we're either going to yield to it or we're going to stand. And we're going to have, there's going to be discipline that we're going to face as believers by, by the government if, if we don't yield to what they want. And, and, and whether we like it or not, that's going to come at some point in time. But uh, here he is forcing the people of Judah to fall into these idolatries. And I think about our government today, how it's starting to decay and our society and all starting to decay. And almost you're forced to believe what they want you to believe. But we need to stand firm on the word of God and, and, and his, his promises that he makes to us uh, when this time comes. Verse 12, it says, And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David, Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have made Judah an inhabitant of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab and also have killed your brothers, those of your uh, father's household, who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord, behold, the Lord will strike you, uh, your people with serious affliction, your children, your wives and all your possessions. And you will become very sick with the disease of your intestine until the intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Now, this is Elijah who went up in the chariot uh, with the pillar of fire to God. Uh, And he may not have been alive at this particular time when this passage was coming around. But this is still a, a message in prophecy given to Jehoram about what's going to happen. It could have been a letter that made his way to him. I don't believe this is a mistake in the Bible. I believe this is something that Elijah wrote and made his way to Jehoram, telling him of his future fate. It's basically a warning to him. You would think that maybe he would want to change his ways, maybe repent and come to the Lord. Hey, your people are going to be destroyed. 
you're going to die of a horrible disease where your intestines are going to come out. I would get a warning like that. I might start reconsidering the way I'm living and doing things. But we'll see that he doesn't come back. He doesn't repent. But he keeps on with the evil. He keeps on doing things that are contrary to the will of God. And in verse 16, it says, Moreover, the Lord stirred up uh, against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near uh, the Ethiopians. So we see that he is still not wanting to repent and come back to the Lord. So there's more that's going to, calamity is going to come to him. And they came up uh, into Judah and invaded it and carried away the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives. So that there was not one, a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After this, the Lord struck him in the intestines with the incur- incurable uh, disease. When it happened in that course of time, after the end of two years, that his intestines came out because of his sickness, so he died in severe pain. And his people made no burning for him, like the burning for his fathers. So the prophecy that Elijah had brought forth came, came to pass, probably to, to, to the letter. And we see here that they made no burning for him. They didn't burn incense or anything in his honor when he died. And in verse 20, it says, he was 32 years old when he became king. He ran in Jerusalem eight years, and to no, no one's sorrow departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. What a sad way to go. No, he, he died to no one's sorrow. No one was sad for him. He was not even buried in the tombs of the kings. And it makes us think about our lives. Let's, let's look over our lives. Are we making an impact that is, that is good for the kingdom of God? Are we impacting people in our lives? Because that would be a sad thing for our, our, our day and our funeral. And no one's there. No one comes to your funeral. No one's sad that you died. You just passed away. That would be pretty sad. You know, we should have some kind of circle of influence with us that we can make a difference. And uh, he, he just didn't seem to make a difference at all and that nobody was sad that he departed. So we need to look at our lives with that. So that's definitely a tragic statement. So let's move on to Second Chronicles uh, 22, verse 1. And it says, Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place, for the raiders who came with the uh, Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. So here we see the turnover. Jehoram's sons all died. We have one left who becomes king. And then moving on to verse 2, it says, uh, Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned over uh, reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of, ah- of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also followed their advice and went uh, with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramath-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. 
Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. His going, in, going to Joram was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimishai, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. So here we have Ahaziah, once again, having these uh, bad relationships with the northern kingdom. It seems to be a pattern over these uh, three generations from Jehoshaphat, uh, from Jehoshaphat to Jehoram to now his son, having these relationships with the northern kingdom. It almost sounds like the same story being, being told. And we can see the damage that, starting with Jehoshaphat, seeing the damage being caused in his family now. As they're following somewhat in his footsteps, but really being influenced by, by the northern kingdom. First off, why Ahab's wife, with Jehoram being influenced by her, and now the grandmother influencing. So this is this is not a good way to uh, this is not a good way to be an example to his his people in Judah at all by doing this. And now he's going to be stuck in a bad position. He goes to visit Joram because he's sick and he was wounded. And now he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. And now his demise is going to come up. Is this continuous? These relationships continuously. These wrong relationships continuously. Uh, are affecting the, uh, the nation of Judah at this point. In verse 10, it says, Now when uh, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she ro- arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. She killed all of her grandchildren. That way she can keep the reign that she had over Judah. So at this point, you could pretty much say in the northern kingdom had 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 nation of Israel intact and had Judah uh, under their wings as well at this point. And just like just like Jehoram, who killed his brothers, now we see she Athaliah is killing her grandchildren to make sure that the kingdom is kept where it's at. And this is the same one that had built a temple next to the temple of Solomon for Baal. They were Baal worship was huge at this point in time. Because of the influence of the northern kingdom, they were doing this also in Judah. So here we see this evil queen mother trying to take over Judah. But there's a surprise for us. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So she had the, the, the presence of mind to sneak this, this young child away into the temple to keep him because he was going to be the next heir over Judah. And this child was to be raised inside the temple, hearing the word of God from the priest. So Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, the son of Jehoiada, the, uh, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that uh, she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over, over the land.
So this child is hidden inside the temple for six years. And, she, and if Ethaliah probably seen this child but didn't take him as one of the, the king's kids, probably thought it was just one of the, the, priests, uh, the priest's kids or what have you. And he was able to, to grow up in the temple, hearing the word of God. And we're going to read more about him starting next week. And he would end up becoming the next king. Amen. So there is a, a, a parallel between these two. That God, God's plan is going to be worked out no matter what. He, he patiently watches his plan work out. And we see this child hidden from this evil dictator, kept safe to where he's going to end up reigning at one point in time. And we look back to uh, Jesus whenever there was an evil dictator going out to kill the children for, the, for that, that coming Messiah would, 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 would die. Jesus was taken away. And kept safe until that appointed time to become to become our, our Lord and Savior and our King. So Satan is always at work trying to destroy the lineage of Jesus. Trying to destroy the children of God. But when God has a plan, which he has a plan for each and every one of us. And when our time is up, he'll take us. But until that point, he's going to keep us moving and keep us going. Just like he did here. For the, for the next king, just like he did with Jesus when Satan tried to spoil that plan too. He, he keeps his hidden, keeps his, keeps his plan going. And we just need to trust in him because he is a God that keeps his promises. Amen. All right, Father, we uh, thank you for this uh, word tonight. And we just do thank you, Lord, for your, you are a, a God that keeps promises, Lord. And even when tough times come and situations arise, Lord, that we just don't see an out for, Lord, or we just don't see no way of getting through it, Lord. We can just always look back and see the the promises that you've kept in our lives and the promises that are in your word, Lord, and we can lean on that, Lord, knowing that you are a a God of promise, Father. Uh, We thank you for this word tonight. We do ask for blessings for those who are here. We ask for blessings and uh, healing for those who are out and who are sick, and we just give you all praise, honor, and glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.